Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. Hey, good morning. That's my morning voice. I know it's, it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Thank you. Um, which is great for all of our patrons today because they're going to get a sexy little thank you mm. with this voice. Mm. Uh, so these people all went over to patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene and subscribed to our Patreon feed, which has a lot of action going on, folks. We got ad-free episodes. We have bonus episodes. We have movie recaps. We have special episode recaps. There's a ton of crap. Porn recaps. <laughs> porn recap. We, we have to do that a lot in porn recap. Oh, I know. That scene made me laugh so hard because I was like, what the hell is this? The, just the fact that the guy's name was Jafuck. I lost it. Also, I was like, why would anyone want to fuck it? Like, he's like, my dick is a tick. I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, no one wants that. We got it. It was very it. funny, though. Very funny song. I gotta love. It. And I thought that J- Jafuck was talented. He's so talented because <laughs> he was probably like, "This is what I really want to do," and I finally have the opportunity to do it at my day job. Right. Sing a fucking Disney esque song. Right. Before fucking or getting my dick sucked. No, he was so talented. Anyway, we also have a Discord that you can get access to through Patreon. That's popping off. And we're starting a book club. There's a poll up now. You can help us pick what our first choice will be. Everyone's just in a tizzy. (laughs) Tizzy about it. A tizzy? What was I? Tizzy. I I was missing. I was was thinking of another word, and then I combined it with tizzy. A dither? Dither? I don't know. It's a dithering tizzy over there. It's crazy. Sure. Uh, so let's thank those people. Um, we have LK, Angie, Angel Face, Nikki, Margot, Corinne, Andrea or Andrea, Chelsea, Corinne, Nancy, Cyber Brats, Allie, Autumn, Sam, January, April. Oh, Mrs. Hamster. We don't want to know about that. No. <laughs> uh, Anne, Jessica, Adam. Nashia, Claire, Big Thunder. Hey, wow. Big Thunder. Like the, what's going on? Like Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. We don't know what what his thunder is all about, mm. but it's big. It's big. Ashley, Teresa, Jen, Hannah, Savannah, Mrs. B, Isabel, Raven, Jess, Karen, Allie, H, Stanton, Cynthia, and Joe. Thank you all so much. Thanks, guys. Okay, Desi, we're still in awards season, so I figured we need to talk about more award show scandals. We are not just covering the Oscars this time. Okay. Well, the fir- the- okay, I'm going to title this episode Award Show Scandals. Okay. Hopefully people won't be like, did you guys already release this? No, we talked about two Oscar scandals last time. Was that called Oscar Scandals? It was called the number two Oscar Scandals. Okay. This episode's just going to be called Award Show Scandals. Yeah. Because this is going to be 
a multi-parter. I'm just, I mean, it's going to be something that we return to. Right. Or we can return to. Much like Disneyland stories or, or Food Network. Or whatever. It's something. Okay. And with that being said, this is not a comprehensive list. Yes. We only have time for so many scandals. And believe me, there have been a lot of scandals throughout the years that award shows have have happened. So we'll get to them all eventually. Yeah. And I also want to talk about some older ones, like from 30 years ago plus or 20 years ago, just because we haven't talked about them as a culture in a while. Okay. (laughs) I'm into it. They haven't been in the conversation for a while, so let's revisit them. Yeah, let's. Our first story comes from 1982. In 1982, Pia Zadora shocked the film industry when she won a Golden Globe Award for her role in the critically panned film Butterfly. Yes. Have you seen Butterfly? Of course. I think we should recap Butterfly. We should recap. She has two great movies that are bad that we can recap. I I had a a book when I was... maybe a teen that was called Bad Movies We Love. Yeah. And I watched almost every movie in that book because I was very into camp yes. and like unintentionally bad movies from a young age. Right. And that's that's when I saw those movies because of course they're in those books. And I learned about that scandal, uh, her victory from those books as well. You know, John Waters is a big fan of Butterfly. Yeah. I mean, all of the movies in that book are clearly influences of John Waters or things he would love, right? Like, for sure, because it's just that type of it's that type of movie, and those are movies we love. Oh my god! Like we should go through that book because they're fun. Absolutely. So she won a Golden Globe for her role in the critically panned film Butterfly. Though Zadora had a theater career, this was only the twenty-eight-year-old's second film. Her first film role was in 1964 when she was 10 years old in a movie called Santa Claus Conquers the Martian. Oh. So not an illustrious film or even television career. No. This was really her first role, big role. Yeah. And But she was a working theater actress. Yes. Butterfly was financed by her billionaire older husband, Meshalem Rickolis. According to a Hollywood Reporter article by Seth Abramowitz, bitch, that's your friend. Yeah. Zadora met Rickolis backstage at a musical she was in. She was just 19 and Rickolis was 49. They were married a few years later in 1977, and Pia Zadora was living a life of luxury few could dream of. Money and power also meant she had new avenues of conquering the film industry. First, her husband put her in a 1978 commercial for the aperitif Dubonnet. Ooh. Her husband then bought the rights to James M. Kane's novel, The Butterfly, and then poured $3.5 million of his own money into making this movie. Everyone's dream. Sorry about the dryer. Husband to pay for your movie career. He paid for the whole thing. I know. This movie was completely financed by him. And people say you you need a break to get in the industry. No, you need a billionaire husband. Duh. (laughs) It starred his wife, 
Piazadora as a young girl who has an incestuous relationship with her father, who is played by Stacy Keach. I mean, I mean what more co- do you want? <laughs> of course, that's exactly what to- sold me out the film. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is so relatable. <laughs> In the months leading up to the Golden Globes, Rickles flew members of the Hollywood Foreign Press to private screenings of Butterfly. One of the screenings took place at Pia Zadora and her husband's home in Beverly Hills. Next followed a PR campaign launched by Rickles to boost his wife's profile ahead of the Golden Globes. The awards ceremony took place on January 30th, 1982, and Pia Zadora was nominated for New Star of the Year for her role in Butterfly. This award category has long ceased to exist, but was once awarded to stars such as Bette Midler, Jane Mansfield, Jane Fonda, Tippi Hedren, Diana Ross. Yeah. I mean, among several other legendary stars. At the 1982 Globes, Zadora was up against Sally Field, Elizabeth McGovern, Kathleen Turner, Howard Rollins, Rachel Ward, and Craig Wasson. When Pia Zadora's name was announced as the winner, there was, as she described to Abramovich in his article, a, quote, quiet shock in the room. (laughs) She remembers walking past Sally Field on her way to the stage and saw Sally Field mouth to the person next to her, Pia Zadora? <laughs> the film's... Oh, look, I can picture exactly what Sally Field's face looked like in I that can, moment. I can hear it. I can Because <laughs> she famously has that kind of like, what? Incredulous. Me? Yeah. It's like in Mrs. Doubtfire when she's like, the whole time, the whole time. <laughs> yeah. The film's theatrical release following the ceremony added to the bewilderment. The New York Times said of Zadora's performance... Miss Zadora is not a convincing actress, but by being spectacularly inept, however, she somehow epitomizes the erotic vulgarity of Kane's fiction. Miss Zadora conducts herself in the simpering ways of the so-called sex kitten of nearly 30 years ago. Like many former child actresses, she's not just small of stature, she also looks stunted, like a Bridget Bardot. <laughs> this is so mean. It's so mean. Like a Bridget Bardot who's been recycled through a kitchen compactor. Wow. That's harsh. Yeah. They noted that the film had the potential of becoming a camp classic. I mean, they were right about that. Absolutely. Pia Zadora was subsequently roasted on every late night talk show. She went on Letterman in March of that year and was asked about her controversial win, to which she replied that the Golden Globes can't be bought. She pointed out that the Globes differ from the Academy Awards in that films are eligible even if they haven't been released yet, which Butterfly hadn't been released like theatrically right. prior to the ceremony. I watched this David Letterman interview with her, and he's very David Letterman. He's very snarky to her. Right. She she carries herself very well. I mean, she's silly. She's kind of goofy. She has a good attitude in the interview. She pushes back on him a little bit when she says, so what if my husband finances the movie? Who cares? It's true. Also, I'm sorry, but the Globes are a joke. Yeah. And they're very easily bought. It's famously bought. It's famously bought. 
And not, I'm not saying people who win don't deserve it because sometimes it does work out, but it's, there's always weird nominations or scandals about these people taking uh, gifts and whatever luxury. I mean, yeah. Also, she, I mean, <laughs> who cares if she won? It didn't pay off for her in any way. No. And it didn't, it doesn't take away from anyone. Like no one cares if you win a Golden Globe. Like, I'm sorry. Like. Yeah, it's I'm, like whatever. It's fun. I'm sure to win, and maybe it's a trajectory that you're gonna maybe win the Oscar, right? But it's like a lot of people have won Golden Globes, and you never hear from them again. I mean, I read an article. It might have been in I don't remember what paper it was in, but it was basically talking about it was an old article, but talking about the history of like Golden Globes being a con or whatever. Yes, I feel like it's a con that somehow got legitimate. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that would be an interesting episode. I mean, I love watching the Golden Globes. It's a fun award show. Yeah. But that does, I mean, the MTV award show is fun too, but those don't really mean anything. (laughs) It's not like a Grammy. Like, it's just fun. Yeah. And like, obviously winning an award is fun. Yeah. And it's Uh, cool to win an award. Yeah. I'm not saying that's not the case. But there are certain awards that just have more prestige. Like the Academy Award. Yeah. Like that will actually get you better job at least i mean some people have complained that it doesn't do anything for them right famously but uh, i mean it can yeah for sure and then you're on this short list of people who won one yeah do they keep track of golden globes probably not (laughs) like i do they i don't know i mean not like the oscars well speaking of 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 the vmas desi that's a great segue by the way can i just say one more thing about pia sedora before we move on um, people might know her from Hairspray because she played a beatnik with Rick Ocasek. Like uh, I said, yeah. John Waters, big fan of Pia Zadora. <laughs> and that's a very funny bit with those two yes. in it. I love that. I love that. But yeah. So the VMAs, tensions had been running high between Poison frontman, <laughs> frontman Brett Michaels and guitarist CeCe DeVille ahead of the 1991 Ooh, VMAs. I mean, I'm I'm just... I'm dying to hear this. (laughs) (laughs) While on tour, they got into a brawl at a sports bar in New Orleans. Mm. Michaels recalled the event. Me and him were having a few words, having a good time. Next thing you know, maybe a couple of drinks, a little substance here. Next thing you know, a few words and we are beating the living crap out of each other. And then it continued. They broke us apart. We went back to the hotel, right? And all of a sudden, the elevator door opens, and we just happened to be going down to our buses. They were trying to separate us, and it started again. Old Cece came at me, and we went at it again. It was like an old Army-Navy. Bam, boom, boom. We got some punches in. It was good. One thing I've never done is uh, had a few drinks with my friend and then beat the shit out of each other at some point. (laughs) How does that happen? How does that happen? I just have never even come close to doing something like that. I don't think I've even fought with a friend after getting drunk. Like, hey, like, what about? Like, you just must, they must must have had a lot of tension broiling underneath. There was a lot of stuff going on with C.C. DeVille's substance use and his drinking. We should do a poison episode. Absolutely. I've thought of it many times. I'm like obsessed with Cece DeVille. I have no you idea why. You should do a poison episode. <laughs> do they, they must have like a Motley Crue-esque book. They have out. to, right? Probably. And uh, then you can talk about Rock of Love. <laughs> yes. 
That's true. We should get Sonia on to be a guest correspondent (laughs) for that. Well, there's uh, probably a ton of scandal. Well, we talked about one. Because yes. uh, one of the contestants was linked to a murderer. Right. So we talked about that case. And I think there's probably some other like low level crimes happening. Yeah. Um, great reality show. Yeah. <laughs> Way better than The Bachelor. <laughs> <laughs> so this is that brawl at the sports bar. That's ahead of the VMAs. Okay. So tensions are brewing between the two. When they got to the VMAs that September, they were scheduled to perform their recent hit, Unskinny bop. Love it. <laughs> What's an unskinny bop? No what does idea. That mean? I, I bet you there's an explanation, but I don't think if I've heard it, I've forgotten. It's unskinny probably like bop, very bop. vulgar. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have to investigate or write us in if you know. Cece had been drinking and drugging all night and was in pretty bad shape, as evidenced by footage of him from before the performance. By the time they hit the stage, Cece started playing Unskinny Bop before the show's host, Arsenio Hall, could even introduce them. So he's just up there. This couldn't get more early 90s with Arsenio. (laughs) (laughs) When they got to the chorus, Cece just stopped playing. Mm. And the audience starts singing the chorus, and then the rest of the band just stops playing as well. So they didn't make it through Unskinny Bop. Oh, my God. Arsenio jumped in and reintroduced the band. He was like, well, they don't need any introduction. Yeah. Here's Poison. Brett Michaels then started singing Let It Play before Cece launched into Talk Dirty to Me. <gasps> so he went... Yeah, basically. I watched it. Oh, <laughs> That's what happened. They actually got through the entire song, even though halfway through, Cece unplugged his guitar during the chorus. He's so active for someone who's drunk or whatever. He's making a lot of choices. Yeah. And then later he performed a very shitty version of his guitar solo. Ooh. Look, I'm not a musician, but people said it was very shitty and like uh, out of tune. Okay. Brett Michaels kept his composure throughout the performance, and the crowd seemed to be having fun. Michaels told the crowd at the end of this disaster performance, it ain't perfect, but it's rock and roll. That's a sunny way of looking at it. (laughs) I mean, he was very professional. Yeah. He really kept going. He really just pushed through this performance while Cece is like... What a mess. Being a mess on stage. And he was just like, great showmanship. That, yeah. he, that he showed in this He's performance. He's a pro. Brett Michaels and Cece then got into a fist fight backstage. Mm, that was coming. That was- <laughs> <laughs> The minute he got off stage. He clocked him. Clocked him with a bottle of Jack. I'm sure. <laughs> and Cece DeVille was fired from the band shortly after Ooh. this incident. Wow. Yeah. And was that the end of Poison? Did they replace him? They I can't replaced remember. Him, they replaced him with the young guy... To a younger guy to be the new guitarist. And then they released a new album after that and it bombed. But right. I mean, can you really blame that guy and not just the trajectory of like music? Of like, oh, I mean, where, poison, poison had peaked. It was, I mean, <laughs> there was nowhere to go but down. <laughs> like, look, that was like the last gasp of poison was 91. Absolutely. Those metal bands are all very short lived. Like, they had their day. There was some of the top ones that maybe lasted a little longer, but most of them just had like one hit and were gone, uh, I think. Or they had 
uh, several hits over the course of only like three years. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Poison definitely was one of the biggest. And then just... Nobody gave a shit about hair metal anymore at that point. Oh, no. I mean, it was a completely different music landscape. Absolutely. So they were done. Uh, CeCe DeVille did get back together with the band, though. Yeah, I remember him coming back, but it was kind of like nothing. Nothing was happening really at that point. Yeah. Uh, Another VMAs incident that you might remember, at one point, Andrew Dice Clay was one of the biggest comics in America. I remember. (laughs) Known for his dirty nursery rhymes and sexist macho persona. Look, I'll admit, I liked those dirty nursery rhymes when I first heard them. Here's the thing. That was my sense of humor. The dirty nursery rhymes are funny because they're so stupid, but his... When you but some when you really go into his other stuff, his other material, you're like, Jesus Christ, this guy's awful. Well, I mean, it's kind of one of those things where it's like people like on Twitter, especially a lot of them do ironic sexism. Yeah. And it's like, is it ironic? Do you know what I mean? Well, <laughs> at some point, and it's like with his persona, it's like you're playing a sexist guy. Right. But are you really sexist? Like, it's just not funny, I think. Also, well, he also had some really bad, like, homophobic jokes, too, especially, like, at the height of the AIDS crisis. Yes. So a lot of people were really fucking mad at him and protested him. Uh, like, when he was when he did SNL, he was protested by Sinead O'Connor and Karen Dunn, who was a cast member. They refused to... Nora Dunn. Nora Dunn, yeah, I'm sorry. They, re- okay. they refused to perform that night. Yeah. Uh, so it he, definitely started crossing the line into other type of bad, you know, yeah. problematic stuff. Just anyway, that's just a little background. And if you don't know who Andrew Dice Clay is, he was very, he was very big, but he was also very controversial. Yes. Initially, though, it was more, it was like one of those things where initially it was like the conservatives against him for the dirty nursery rhyme stuff. Because yes. he was really filthy. And then he started pissing everyone off. Yeah. Um, but then he kind of moved over into an acting career. And he's had a pretty successful acting career. Right. Wasn't he recently in something we, I think he was Pam in and Pam and Tommy. Tommy. Yeah. He yeah. played the sleazeball. Um, yeah. Um, so Andrew Dice Clay. In 1989, he appeared on the VMAs doing three minutes of his signature material before he would introduce Cher. (laughs) I just love this, like, combination of people. You know she was about to do Turn Back Time. Yes, and that, like, sheer body, whole bodysuit that had, like, the one strip covering her vagina and upper chest. And a thong. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, amazing. So... This material was not censored. It was just as crass as his usual stuff. He did one of his famous lines, which was, Rockabye baby on the treetop, your mother's a whore, I ain't your pop. (laughs) I mean, that's a classic Andrew Dice Clay line. Yeah. People were outraged. He said shit. (gasps) Wow. So it was like... There you get an FCC fine. He got a yeah. He got in trouble for that, and just because it was his usual, it's like, what do you expect? You put Andrew Dice Clay up there. He's going to be sexist and say bad words. Yeah, that's his whole thing. Um, people were pissed off, and MTV quickly released a statement on his appearance, saying 
MTV wishes to express its extreme regret for Andrew Dice Clay's performance at the MTV Video Music Awards. As you know, our show is a live performance, and we had assurances repeatedly that his material would be in line with our programming standards, which naturally preclude profanity and obscenity. MTV apologizes for his break of his agreement with us, and we apologize to our viewers. Andrew Dice Clay did not do this in his rehearsal, and based on his experience, and based on this experience, Andrew Dice Clay will not be returning on MTV in the future. So he was like banned from MTV wow. until 2011. I mean, I guess this is before they had the seven second delay type of deal that they do now. I think they had it because I think they. Well, maybe they instated it. I don't know when that came to be because I remember reading something about the SNL that they made sure to have him on a seven-second delay for SNL. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like I feel like people who believe these performers who are sort of outrageous and love controversy, it's like you know they're going to do something. Yeah. Because they love the controversy. He did that on purpose. Absolutely. He wanted that. He probably relished in the backlash that he And what have you ever seen a comic like that go on a show and actually do like a clean set? It's just, it's just not something. Why'd they hire him? Why would, I mean, I just feel like, why would anyone do that? I'd be like, no, if I can't do my material, I don't want to do it. He'd already been around for a while that people knew who he was. So it's like, come on guys. Yeah. I just, I find it hard to believe they bought his shtick, like that he wasn't going to do it. It's too tempting. I know, right? Anyway, this is a good place to take a break. We'll be right back. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. At the 1998 Grammy Awards, Bob Dylan was Ooh. performing a song called Love Sick when halfway through the performance, a shirtless man appeared beside him and started violently flailing his arms and thrusting his pelvis. He was doing some kind of interpretive dance. Mm. Written across his bare chest in big block letters was the phrase, Soy Bomb. Yeah. Dylan didn't flinch as the man flailed about beside him for the next 35 seconds before being dragged off the stage by security. Now, the man in question was a 26-year-old performance artist from New York named Michael Portnoy. Okay. Do you remember watching this when it happened? Yes, I think so. I can't remember if I watched it or I saw so much clips about it. I thought it's it was of part things. of the performance. Yeah, it was. It did seem like it was part of the performance because Grammys can have weird performances with a performance art element to it. And Bob Dylan's like a hippie. He's always protesting. He's, <laughs> I just felt like if anyone was going to have that weird, vague, like, perf- like interpretive dancer next to them, it might be Bob Dylan. Right. Yeah. And Soy Bomb was just so mysterious. It was very mysterious, and um, soy was really in the public consciousness in <laughs> in 1998 as like a hippie health food, right? A meat pl- replacement, yeah. Uh, but no one knew what the bomb was because okay. it's like we've heard of soy, we've heard of you know no bombs, <laughs> <laughs> like people protesting bombs. But why? But why soy bomb? What's a soy bomb? What is it? We're going to explain that. So. This guy, Michael Portney, who was the soy bomb guy, he had actually been hired to be among the people sitting around Bob Dylan during this performance. Okay. So if you watch this performance, which you can on YouTube, it's Bob Dylan playing his guitar and singing his song with his band. And then behind him is like, I don't know, 30 people just kind of sitting and like grooving. Like a, he has like a little onstage audience. Exactly. Yeah. They're like a bunch of hip, hip people behind yeah. him, just grooving to his music. So Michael Portney said he was paid $200 to be one of these background people. Nice. According to Portnoy, him and his other artist friends came up with the idea to cause a disturbance at the show to generate publicity for himself. 
As for the term soy bomb, according to Portnoy, soy, soy is a rich nutritional food. Mm. And, quote, art for me is a combination of this dense nutritional life and this explosive destructive force. Oh, wow. It still doesn't make sense to me. So it's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) There is no soy bomb. There's no bomb people are making with a soy protein that could destroy the world or anything like that. No, he's just like, what if something really nutritious also exploded? So is his last name Portnoy or Portney? Portnoy. I'm okay. sorry. It's That's hard okay. for me to say. <laughs> it's okay. I was just, I, I was getting, I wanted to clarify. It's Michael Portnoy. 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 So he put, just put soy bomb on and just danced around like an idiot. Yeah. This guy's an idiot. He's an idiot. Hope, I'm hoping now that he didn't die <laughs> like the last person we talked about. No. Some horrible death. No. I feel bad. I think he's still alive. Okay. I'm pretty sure he's still alive. So we can make fun of him. Yeah. The moment was one of the most talked about moments in the papers following the show. A headline in the Lexington Herald read, Soy Boy Proud He Messed Up the Grammys. So he's the first soy boy. That's what I discovered. <laughs> That's what I discovered this week. He, this is the first example of soy boy. He invented the, being a soy boy. Oh, my God. Michael Portnoy told the Baltimore Sun, quote, I've always considered myself somewhere between an artist and a moron. Wow. Gra- um, wow. That is a great description. <laughs> he's he's self-aware. self-aware. <laughs> the Grammys is one of the biggest media events in our time. It was crying out to be messed up. How could I pass up such an opportunity? Portnoy continued that he had nothing against Bob Dylan and that he actually wished he could have done it during Celine Dion's performance. Okay. (laughs) Now here's where he's wrong because it's objectively funnier to do it to Bob Dylan who's so revered and so... um, important of an artist you know what quote unquote important of an artist it's way funnier to fuck up a bob dylan performance than it would be a celine dion performance because 100 percent, if he had done this same stunt during celine's performance she would have started dancing alongside with him and gotten in on it yes because she's a goofball she is a goofball i agree it's funnier but I do feel like there could be a protest during a Celine Dion song that would be funny. I just don't know exactly what it is yet. Because I can see that, like someone just really being a super fan and like doing a da- an, a beautiful interpretive dance or so something. So it would be a pro Celine Dion stunt. Yes. A pro Celine stunt would be funny. Right. Uh, or interesting. But yeah, I agree. You got to fuck up Bob Dylan and take him off his high horse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you watch this and Bob Dylan, it barely registers to him what's happening next to him. It's a very funny video. Or it's also funny to think of him saying to his himself, I'm not going to register this idiot. He's sort of like, he's just like, like singing his little song. And then there's this guy just fucking like, it's like convulsive almost. He's convulsing. Yeah. What an idiot. <laughs> I, I'm so mad about soy bomb. I want there to be a better explanation, but it's like, this is what happens when you do drugs and make a plan. <laughs> like You come up with something you think is really brilliant in the moment. Like, whoa, right. get it? Soy bomb. And right. it's like, it makes zero sense. <laughs> well, that's not all that happened at the 1998 <gasps> Grammys. 
There's mm. another story that happened that does not get talked about as much. Earlier in the night, Sean Colvin won the award for best song for Sunny Came Home. As she approached the stage, ODB got there first <gasps> and grabbed the mic. Oh, I remember this. <laughs> <laughs> ODB nor Wu-Tang were nominated for, his, for this award, but he had some words to share with the audience. Sean Colvin's song was playing in the background as ODB said, please calm down, the music and everything. <laughs> and that song is very... Da, 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 da. <laughs> it's like the most adult contemporary song ever. Yeah. Um, he's like, please. See, this is funny to interrupt a song like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is comedy. So the music fades out. They comply. They're like, oh, okay. You don't mess with ODB. Like, come on. <laughs> he continued, I went out and bought an outfit that cost me a lot of money today because mm. I figured that Wu-Tang was going to win. I don't know how y'all see it, but when it comes to the children, Wu-Tang is for the children. Puffy is good, but Wu-Tang is the best. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so was he complaining they didn't win like rap? Artist of the year? Or? I think so, because Puff Daddy had won over Wu-Tang for best rap album. Got it. I mean, that was a huge album. The miss, the uh, Missing You, or which one was it called? Yeah, yeah. it was the... I don't remember what it's I called. Know, Puff Daddy and the Family. No, I'm it, but it was like the tribute. It had the tribute song on it. It was I'll Be Missing yeah. You. I mean, that was a big album. Everyone had that album. A rap wins during this period are always kind of controversial because it was like certain artists could win and certain artists couldn't, right? Yeah. Like if they had a more crossover hit, they would Puff probably Daddy win. had such a huge crossover. I mean, that album was just fucking everywhere. Yeah. Um, but yes, I agree. I like Wu-Tang better. Anyway, he won over Wu-Tang for best rap album. Wu-Tang finished his speech. ODB. I'm sorry. ODB finished his speech... While he was on stage with Sean Colvin, he said, I want you all to know <laughs> that this is ODB and I love you all. Peace. And so he just randomly picked new artists to do this during? I guess. Because he, he's like, let me see. <laughs> she, she won't say anything. <laughs> I don't want to do it if anyone's tough is winning. Maybe he picked new artists because, yeah, this is the people who are newer and more the, like, and more like, yeah, they're not some big established person, right? Who, will, who could fuck them over, or even would probably be like, is this how it goes? Like, I don't know. I haven't been to an awards show before. She did say when she eventually got to the mic, she said, "Wow, I'm so confused right now." <laughs> I would love it if some moment like that happened when I won an award. Yeah. I would think it was funny. It, I'm like, great. Everyone's always going to remember this. <laughs> like, I really, I truly would think it's funny. I uh, mean, it was, it's yeah. rude. It it's, is, it's it is rude, rude. But at the same time, whatever, who cares? Look, we're suckers for ODB. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. I loved him. Me too. He's a character. Yeah. He but yeah, great. I mean, people are always like, you, you took her moment. And it's like, yeah, I guess that's kind of true. But she won a bunch of other awards that I night. I just feel like it's, it's uh, you know, you got a lot of artists in the same room together. <laughs> And various degrees of sobriety and mental <laughs> illness. <laughs> Shit might happen. <laughs> so our final story we're going to talk about, we might need to pause so I can show you some visuals oh or boy. I can play it during 
And you can give me some live commentary okay. on it. Let me load it up. So in 1989, the Oscars had no host. But oh. they did have one of the most hated opening performances of all time. I've seen it many times. Okay. So I don't need to play this video for you. Well, I would be happy to look at it again. I haven't seen it in a while. <laughs> I, it's really hard to describe this, but it involves Rob Lowe and Snow White. Um, so that move, that book I had read, The Bad Movies We Love, in that book they have a movie called Can't Stop the Music, which is another one that might be fun to recap. It has the village people in it. It is produced by, it might be like Steve Gutenberg as the, is like the star. Yeah. It's, it might, uh, it might be from like 1979 or 80, but the producer is Alan Carr. Yes. So when I read about that movie, I, um, found out that he was the producer of this infamous Oscars, 1989 Oscars. Yes. And he, he conceived this Rob Lowe, Snow White, uh, musical number. This was him. So I want to talk about Alan Carr for a minute because I do, I, I realize we should probably do an episode on him. Very interesting character uh, for sure. Yeah. And this story is interesting because a lot of people say that his production of the 1989 Oscars is what torpedoed his career. It's funny to me because whenever something like this happens, I'm always like, this was the greatest Oscars (laughs) Like, I like the weird things, and they've taken all the character out of the Oscars. I liked the weird Debbie Allen dance routines to best songs. Like, I liked all of that stupid shit that was, like, crazy. Me too. So I miss a lot of those weird performances um, and stuff like that. I like when it doesn't take itself too seriously. I mean, to be fair, there are moments of this Rob Lowe Snow White performance that are so cringy it's even hard to watch but there are also moments of it that are so stupid that it's camp it's high camp and true camp has some cringe (laughs) in it because you should be uncomfortable a little bit yeah so I really couldn't put it into words better than this Guardian article written by Stuart Heritage and I just it's brief I just want to read his description of what went down in this performance. It says, Tucked away in the history of the Academy Awards is a moment so horrible, so astoundingly, objectively, bewilderingly awful that it remains breathtaking. In 1989, producer Alan Carr was handed the keys to the ceremony. Driven berserk with unchecked power. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's what you want. That's what you want in an Oscars producer. Driven berserk with unchecked power. Like that is just, that's the dream. Yeah. (laughs) Carr's first move was to do away with the traditional role of Oscar host and replace it with a nebulous smattering of performers from well-known figures. Astonishingly, Carr decided that the first of these would be Snow White. Not Snow White exactly. A woman dressed as Snow White. Not a big name actor or singer either. No, instead Carr picked an unknown and visibly petrified newcomer called Eileen Bowman. Now, Desi, if you watch this woman's performance, you can tell she's fucking terrified. I mean, I can imagine. I've seen big time celebrities singing live on the Oscars looking terrified. It's probably a terrifying endeavor. It's terrifying to be in front of all those people, period. And then you're supposedly, they're always like, 
a billion people are watching like as well. Yes. Whatever the number is. It's a lot. Bowman ran on stage singing a bastardized version of I Only Have Eyes for You as she glad-handed, visibly embarrassed A-listers such as Tom Hanks and Sigourney Weaver. Once that was done, there was an interminable, interminable samba routine. Then, presumably to mark its 40th anniversary, Merv Griffin popped up and sang, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. And that went on for way too long, Desi. That's the thing. Sometimes this veers off into boring. Like it, it needed a little tightening. It needed some trimming. And then it happened. Mm. Griffin introduced Snow White to her blind date for the night, Rob Lowe. <laughs> then best known for St. Elmo's Fire and a bootleg tape of him having sex with a teenager. Together, Snow and Lowe performed a rewritten version of Proud Mary together. Uh. And the lyrics that they changed... They were just awful. Just thinking of those two people doing Proud Mary <laughs> in any version is awful. <laughs> no one wants to see Rob Lowe sing Proud Mary. I'm sorry. Well, the changed lyrics were, used to work a lot for Walt Disney, starring in cartoons every night and day. Yeah. Terrible. And then, in a voice that can only be described as Nick Knowles having an asthma attack while watching a cow fall into a canyon, <laughs> Lowe jumped in. But you said goodbye to Grumpy and Sleepy, left the dwarves behind, came to town to stay. Then together, rollin', rollin', keep the cameras rollin'. Ugh, who wrote this? On and on it went. <laughs> During a saxophone break, dancers dressed as Carmen Miranda stormed the stage. And I have to point out, everyone's dressed in sequins on this stage. This is Alan Carr's specialty. (laughs) (laughs) Taking things over the top and very random. Like, why Carmen Miranda all of a sudden? There's no connection to anything that's happening. They they started out trying to do this sort of coconut grove motif. But it was just like... It's disjointed. A fever dream. Yeah. And um, it just looked so absurd. And also the Carmen Mirandas weren't... They they weren't really Carmen Mirandas. They kind of just had these like fruit bowl headdresses on, but they were wearing weird sequined 50s waitress diner diner waitress outfits. It wasn't even a Carmen Miranda dress. Yeah. So none of it... It was a bizarre choice. And then some of the tables grew legs and started dancing. Mm. (laughs) If you watch this, this is like a precursor to the 1991 Disney animated feature Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) It's like that. It's like the furniture. (laughs) It's like anthropomorphic furniture that starts dancing. It's like people wearing table costumes. I like this so much because I. I feel like it really gives you some insight into the psychological makeup of Alan Carr. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's like, this is, he had the opportunity, like a, a common complaint of artists is like, if only I had the money and opportunity to put my vision in front of the world. Right. And he got that opportunity and this is what came out of his brain. And I kind of love incredible. it. That's incredible. I fucking love it. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. Uh, the big finish insanely involved Snow White dancing to hooray for Hollywood with the entire Grauman's Chinese theater balanced on her head. Mm. It was because she had been in Beach Blanket Babylon. Yes. Where they have those big headpieces. Yes. 
Lowe has subsequently seen the humor in this disaster, although he rem- his reminisces tend to ignore the fact that for the duration of the performance, he very clearly wants to hump Snow White. The whole thing is extraordinarily creepy to witness. The backlash was swift. Disney, having realized that the Oscars hadn't licensed Snow White, <laughs> sued for copyright infringement uh. and dilution of business reputation. Carr never worked as a Hollywood producer again. Lowe's reputation wouldn't recover for a decade. Bowman was immediately forced to sign a gagging order about her experience and vanished into obscurity. She described the ordeal in a rare interview with The Hollywood Reporter. That number was 15 minutes long from start to end, and I remember looking at Rob Lowe going, it's finally over. The whole thing was an obscene mess, and having learned from it, its mistakes, the Oscars, never went without a host again. Until this year. When was this from? This was from 2019. Remember they didn't have a host that year? Yeah. I mean, I don't think not having a host is the problem. No. <laughs> no, that was not the problem. I love that this scandal hurt Rob more than the sex tape, too. Right. Like, right. that's what this article was insinuating. Look, like, he didn't work again for 10 years. With, I think the Proud Mary part was objectively the worst part of this of this performance, but I do, I do like all of the sequins. I like how obscenely <laughs> glittery the whole thing is. I mean, just as, this is just we're watching the opening right now, and it's just, it's I mean, cheap. This, it's cheap. That's it, the funny thing too. It's very cheap looking, and there are multiple sets throughout this performance. Another thing I love is someone spending a lot of money and still looking cheap. Oh, like <laughs> that is the best possible way to do any look. <laughs> I want it to look like it came off the like a from a vendor like on the street, but you it's actually a some haute couture that you spent twenty five thousand dollars on to have handmade or something. Like, yeah, I love that. Um, it's an incredible opening number. I think everyone should watch it. It's on YouTube. We will definitely do like a, we'll, we'll have to find a book on, I'm sure there's a book on Alan Carr. There has to be, right? Let's find a good book on him. I'm sure there is one. And then I think maybe that will be a fun Patreon. Just recap that, that performance. Yes. That's long enough to we do sh- a good little in-depth recap. <laughs> yeah. We'll break down point by point the various moments. Yeah. Cause it's juicy. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Um, okay, great. I love talking about that. We're going to do our AMA after show, which which is available on patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. You asked us anything, and we're going to answer. Bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 